Today's reading is Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Anna. Morning, Arcadia. Good to see you all. Um, My name is Frank. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here. We have been going through Romans chapter 8, doing it for seven weeks. This is our fourth week, so we're right in the middle. So I would encourage you to have your Bibles open in front of you because I'm going to be referring to those four verses that Anna just read uh, all throughout this message today. Uh, But before we get there, I have three updates. One is uh, sort of a happy update. One's a very sad update. And another one I would describe as somewhat annoying. That's me. You may have a different response to it. But um, uh, at any rate, uh, the first update is uh, this coming Wednesday, the 10th of May, will be the last uh, week, the last installment of our um, A League of Their Own series on Wednesday nights. Uh, five important women in the Bible, and we're actually going to be talking about wisdom uh, this Wednesday night, and I'm going to have Ann Wheeler, who helps me lead the deacon board here at Redemption Arcadia. She is going to be uh, doing this with me. Um, I'll, I'll talk about wisdom for about 10 minutes, and then I'm going to have a conversation and interview Ann for about 50 minutes. That's at 7 o'clock this Wednesday. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because then we're going to take some weeks off from Wednesday night in preparation for this uh, Messiah series that Nick came up and talked about, which will start on June 14th. So we'll have some downtime on Wednesday nights until June 14th. Uh, Next update, very, very sad. Many of you know uh, Jim Moreland. Jim has been a part of Redemption Arcadia for more than 11 years. Jim and his wife, Pat, have been a part of Redemption Arcadia for more than 11 years. Uh, They've been friends of mine for and Jackie's for uh, 35 years. Um, very, very good friends uh, with them. Uh, Jim has also been an elder of Redemption Arcadia for about the last 10 years. Many of you know that um, he's been quite ill the last uh, year. Uh, I've been visiting him, and several of the people in this congregation have been visiting him on a weekly basis. Um, last time I got to see him was Thursday, and I knew probably he was in a bit of trouble at that point, and uh, he did pass away yesterday. And so we're very sad about that. Uh, we're also, in, in a sense, relieved because he's no longer in pain. Uh, Some of you will want to know when the service is. We don't have those details yet. As soon as we get them, I'm going to be spending some time with the family this afternoon. As soon as we get the details on when the service will be, could be as early as this Friday. It could be as late as um, um, early or mid-June. As soon as we know that, uh, we will uh, announce it or email you or be checking our social media posts uh, for that. But be praying for his wife, Pat, and uh, their children, Teresa, and Bill. And then here's the last update. This is the one that I would describe as, to me, it's a little bit annoying, but it's just part of life. It's an update on the Sacred Space Initiative that we've been uh, doing since November. Uh, I wanted to tell you, first of all, that one of the reasons I'm saying this today is because we're going to have a much more comprehensive update on Sacred Space on Sunday, June 25th. 
And we hate to spring updates as important as this on the congregation that morning. So I'm trying to help you to be able to, to, to mark your calendar for Sunday, June 25th. If you're in town, you could be here for that. If you're not in town, you could be watching our YouTube channel and get uh, up to date on that. But there are a few things that I'll mention now. So three things. Number one, the pledge commitments that we have received from the congregation and even the cash that we have also received to date has been very encouraging. We have met or exceeded all of our goals so far. So that's really encouraging and frankly doesn't surprise me with uh, the, the, just knowing our congregation for the last 11 plus years. Here's the second thing. Originally, we believed, according to our architect and the engineers, uh, that our groundbreaking, when we talked about this in November, our groundbreaking would be in May. Has anybody noticed any groundbreaking so far? I know some of you are like, we got three weeks. Okay, it's not going to happen in May. Those of you who are in these arenas with the city of Phoenix know that uh, the city of Phoenix is extraordinarily backed up. They're shorthanded. There's all kinds of issues with uh, getting permits. And so um, we anticipated that this could have been a problem, but it's a much bigger problem than, than anybody has ever anticipated. And so now we're looking at the window of August or September when we would um, break ground. So it's going to be delayed at least until then. The good news is, is that we believe that's August or September 2023, not 2024. So, so at least that's good news. And then finally, the last item on this is that um, Redemption Arizona, as you know, Redemption Church is one church with 10 congregations in Arizona. And, and we have sort of, we're all under the same 501c3 organization called Redemption Arizona. Redemption Arizona is now working through a much needed restructuring and assessment of our governance and operational structure because of the growth that we have had. This began about three weeks ago and is scheduled to be finished sometime around June 15th. And so this has contributed to why the Redemption Arcadia elders, that would be me and Steve and the Tylers and Joe and Nick, uh, why we have decided to give a more comprehensive update on Sunday, June 25th, because then at least we'll have that information uh, to, to go on in terms, of that, uh, in terms of that initiative and that project. So that's all the updates I have for now. Um, we're going to get into Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, but before we do, let me pray for us so that God would help us with this study today. Um, our gracious Father, we just again ask you to Open our hearts and our minds to the truths and the wisdom and the hope and the love and the comfort that you have for us here in Romans chapter 8. What you have led Paul to write is so important here, and it's, uh, it, is, it is challenging, but it's also a celebration. And so I would ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds and that the Holy Spirit would illuminate these truths and wisdom and hope for us uh, today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Uh, let me say, uh, 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 how, many, how many of you heard last week's for Tyler James's ser- Pastor Mustache's sermon? I mean, it was, it was awesome, right? And I'm sitting in the 9 o'clock service. I didn't make the 7.30 because of the, the wedding reception we had the night before. But I'm sitting in the 9 o'clock service, and I could not believe the number of times 
that Tyler spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit just spoke directly to me. And I'm making these notes going, i got to include this in next week's sermon. i got to include this, and i got to include this. And by the time I included everything, my sermon was like an hour and a half long. So I have one thing to include, and the rest of the stuff I'm saving, not only for the rest of Romans, but also for 1 John, which we're going to do this summer in 13 weeks. That's how much he touched me um, during this sermon. Um, But here's the one thing I wanted to mention uh, that just resonated with me incredibly. Do you remember when Tyler was talking about how negative his father is? Okay? And and, and he gave the example of, you know, I told my dad I bought a new car, and my dad said, well, I hope it doesn't blow up. I mean, he just goes into the negative every single time. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, that's me. I'm negative, too. I'm, like, negative, too. I'm always looking at things... As, as our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, used to say, uh, I am a glass half empty kind of guy. I'm not a glass half, I'm glass half empty. In fact, some of you are like, yeah, yeah. When it comes to the suns, it's nothing but negativity, nothing but negativity. And by the way, I just want to mention that I know they won Friday night. They're just prolonging our misery. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Nuggets in five, okay. Anyway, about 20 years ago, I felt like I needed some coaching and counseling uh, from somebody, and and I had a name given to me, a a great, great man named Al Ells. He's fairly well known in the Phoenix Christian community for his work, and I started seeing him, and it was interesting. 20 minutes into our first session, he looked at me and he said, Frank, you are a negative self-talker. 20 minutes in, you know, and I said, well, I've never heard that expression before, but it sounds right. I think I am a negative self-talker. It means that I take negative stuff, put it in my mind, a lot of it about me, put it in my mind. I ruminate on it for about eight hours, and then at the end of the eight hours, I'm no better than Charles Manson. Essentially, that's how negative self-talking uh, works. So I'm sitting there going, this, uh, this resonates with me, what, what Tyler is saying. And then I thought, think about how Romans begins in the first verse. And how Romans ends in the last verse. Romans ends, now this is for people who know Jesus. We have to make that distinction. This is for people who are in Christ. Romans 8 begins with, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. The love of God in Christ Jesus. And I looked at that and I just thought, How can anybody be negative? If you're in Christ, how can anybody be negative knowing that, knowing those two things? And it was just a glorious moment for me to be able to realize, uh, again, how important what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 8 is. And so I want to give some review on where we are for those of you who haven't been here maybe for all of these um, sessions the last three weeks. uh, Give you some review for where we are, and then we'll move into those four verses uh, today. Uh, One of the things that Romans 8 teaches us is that there is no salvation from Jesus without the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in you, and there is no Holy Spirit dwelling in you unless you have been saved by Jesus. It's a package deal. They belong together. You can't have one without the other. It does not exist. And all of this is directed by the will of the Father. And so the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not only involved, but is essential for all of salvation. God the Father sends the Son. The Son goes to the cross as atonement for our sins and then is raised three days later to give us new eternal life. And all of this is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, 
who, who enlightens us in these truths. And this salvation then gives us life. And as a result, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we are called to live by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And this living by the Spirit does not happen passively, but rather we actively welcome and embrace the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as such, the Spirit does four things. I know the Spirit does more than four things, but I've only got four for you today. The Spirit does four things. The Spirit, living in the Christian directs us toward godliness and wisdom. Second, the Spirit convicts us of our sin and unrighteousness. The Spirit reveals to us where we are not matching up with godliness, wisdom, and righteousness. Third, the Spirit guides us into the truth of God's Word. And then fourth, the Spirit helps to eliminate and reveal the truth of God's Word to us. Those last two, especially number four, the Spirit helps us to illuminate and reveal the truth of God's Word. It reminds, us of, uh, reminds me of what our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, used to say all the time. He used to refer to the Holy Spirit as our decoder. Uh, the Spirit uh, decodes some of, some of the Bible for us so we can have a better job of understanding it. And I get that because before coming to know Jesus when I was 27 years old, if I ever tried to read the Bible, it made no sense to me. And while it's true that after I came to Jesus, I still needed help to read and study God's Word, there were times when I could clearly see that the Spirit was just opening up God's Word and revealing truths to me and connecting truths to other truths in the Bible for me that I never would have been able to do prior to the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in me and illuminating all of that for me. And all of that leads to today's message. Because the Spirit directs, convicts, guides, and reveals all goodness and righteousness to us, we are now sons and daughters of God. We have been adopted. Those of us who are in Christ, we have been adopted by God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that adoption, adoption comes all of the rights, privileges, and blessings of full family inheritance, full family legacy, and full family acceptance. So let me reread what Anna read for us, and then we're just going to pick it apart, one verse at a time. Romans 8, 14 through 17. Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So right away in verse 14, we are told that Christians are led by the Spirit. So right away, the, the first question that comes to mind for me is, well, how? How is it that those who are in Christ are led by the Spirit? Well, I want to start by telling you what it doesn't mean. Uh, the great 20th century communication scholar Kenneth Burke said that human beings have the tendency to define things through the negative, and that's exactly where I'm going to start today. I'm going to tell you, first of all, what it doesn't mean. This does not mean, as some of us might believe, that the Holy Spirit directs every single life decision that we make. That the Holy Spirit will specifically direct you to the person that you're going to marry, if you're going to get married at all. 
that the Holy Spirit will specifically direct you to the type of education you're supposed to get, college, degree, all of that stuff. Uh, The Holy Spirit will specifically direct you to what job to take or what house or neighborhood to live in, what transportation to use. That the Holy Spirit will even direct us to what clothes and cosmetics and food to buy and consume. And it's not that those things aren't important, but this is not what Paul is trying to get at here. Uh, I want you to consider a, a sort of a, a, a comparison or an analogy. Uh, some of us know that in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is also the author of that book. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to pray without ceasing. Now we read that and we know instinctively that Paul is not talking about being in prayer with our eyes closed and our lips moving 24 hours a day. We know he's not talking about that because if that were true, we'd never get anything done, we'd never sleep, and driving a car would be a little bit tricky if we were doing that. Rather, Paul is talking about having an attitude of prayer and reverence, a consistent connection and thought with God throughout our waking hours. So it's similar here as well. Being led by the Spirit means means that we will always process our lives through the grid of God's word and truth as we walk out our lives. He says, uh, when he writes to the Corinthians, as a matter of fact, he says, take every thought captive to Christ. Uh, Use this as a grid. Uh, In Philippians, he says that now the mind of Christ dwells within us. We use that as our grid. And so it could also be explained this way uh, by this Uh, what I know is a popularly discussed and debated idea of God's personal will for my life. What is God's will for me? Um, Gary Friesen, in his book, he describes it as a dot. I'm, I'm looking for this dot all the time. What is God's specific will for my life? i got to find that dot. Does he... Does he have a specific person that I'm supposed to marry out of the seven and a half billion people who live here? I've got to find that person. Um, is there a specific job that I'm supposed to take? A specific college and degree that I must figure out, that I must submit myself to? A specific place to, lead, uh, to live? Or even a specific toothpaste to use? I don't believe that that's what God or Paul is trying to get at here, and and I know that's not what the Bible teaches about God's will. So there are two very helpful books in this area. One is Decision Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen. It's an older book, but it's really helpful. It's much thicker and a little bit more complex than the second book. You might want to start with the second book. The second book is written by uh, one of my favorite authors, Jerry Sitzer, and it's called Decision, uh, The Will of God as a Way of Life. So you could maybe start there and then graduate to Friesen's book. But both books are very helpful in this because both authors present the same case about this thing called God's will. They say there are three kinds of wills that essentially uh, God's will that we talk about. There is God's sovereign will, first of all. God, God is sovereign, and so he wills something to happen, and it happens. Read Genesis chapter 1. God willed creation into existence. Uh, read the book of Exodus. God, uh, God split the Red Sea, God's sovereign will. Uh, all the miracles, that's part of God's sovereign will. The second will that we find in the Bible is God's moral will. God has a law, he has a moral code, he has an ethic by which he calls us to live. And all you got to do is open the Bible and you can start to see that manifesting itself in all areas of the Bible. But, 
But this third kind of will, this tailored, personal, specific will for me in regard to every detail of my life, not so much. You're really not going to be able to find that in the Bible. You might find some descriptive narratives about it, but never prescriptive. Okay? So, here's the question, the question that you need to understand when it comes to living by the Spirit. If you are living by the Spirit and submitting yourself to God, you are submitting yourself to God's sovereign and moral will. And if that is true, then marry who you want. If that's true, that you're submitted to God's sovereign and moral will then work where they pay the best and offer the best benefits. If that's true, that you're living by God's sovereign and moral will, live where you want to live and you can afford to live. If that's true, that you're submitted to God's moral and and sovereign will, then buy the best toothpaste that will prevent cavities and freshen your breath. I'm serious. I'm serious. This whole idea of God's personal will, if you're submitted to his sovereign and moral will, it makes decision-making so much easier and might even reduce some stress in our lives. It's a beautiful thing that happens. If you're living by the Spirit and submitted to God's will and his word, decision-making becomes easier. Now, will you still make some, some mistakes? Of course you will, because you live in a fallen, sinful world, and you and I are sinful, so that's going to be a problem, and we're going to have to reconcile those mistakes and deal with those and confess those mistakes, but your mistakes won't be because you flouted God's will by cheating on your taxes or doing something unethical to get a promotion or by cheating on your entrance exam. It'll just be because of sin in the world. You see, we do have agency in God's economy. We have agency But that agency needs to be submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit who will not guide us into doing something that's contrary to God's moral or sovereign word or will. Here's another way to understand this principle of being led by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. I talked about it two weeks ago. Don't allow anything other than the Holy Spirit to lead and influence your life. In in Ephesians 5, he writes, don't be drunk on the things of this world that will lead you to places that you don't want to be. Don't submit yourself to the intoxication of the things of the world that will lead you far away from God. Paul says to be careful with your heart. Guard your heart. In fact, all through Scripture, we are told, guard your heart, guard your heart. Why your heart? Because our hearts are so deceptive against us. So we need to be careful. Now, that's a lot for verse 14. Guess what? There's a lot in verse 15. So here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. Okay? First of all, verse 15, there is such an emphasis in this whole chapter 8 on life in the Spirit, the new life that we have in the gospel of Jesus. So it is helpful that Paul, at this point, contrasts for the reader the difference between slavery and adoption. Adoption is a big issue in this letter and in the Bible. So the slavery that Paul speaks of here, whatever kind of slavery it is, is no real or good life. We don't want to be in bondage. We don't want to be enslaved. Whether we're talking about the slavery of one human owning another, or more specifically in Paul's mind here, the slavery of our fleshly desires mastering our lives, this is no life to live. But adoption by God through the revealing of the holy sin and Jesus Christ going to the cross and being resurrected, that gives life. That frees us. That breaks our chains of bondage. Adoption gives new life. Adoption is a second chance. It's a third chance. It's a fourth chance. It's a fifth chance. 
Adoption transforms death to life. So here's another question. What are some characteristics of adoption, adopters, and adoptees? Well, in adoption, someone steps in and intercedes in our life for our good and for our benefit. That's pretty cool. In adoption, somebody takes responsibility for our life. And adoption tends to redeem a person's past and gives them a future worth looking for, worth looking forward to. Redeems our past and gives us a wonderful future that we can look forward to. Uh, The the idea of redeeming our past is, is that all of us have some level of trauma in our past, and it's all been caused by sin, either our sin or the sin of somebody else. And, and the gospel redeems that past, just like it did in the Apostle Paul, and then gives us a future to look at. He says in Philippians chapter 3, I, I forget what lies behind, and I press on for the upward call of Christ Jesus. That's the idea. Uh, This is a a fairly common illustration, but if any person in this room hasn't heard it, I want you to hear it because I I think it's effective and helpful because I went through this myself when I first came to Christ when I was 27 years old. Before you come to Christ, you, you may not realize it, but essentially, metaphorically, you're walking around with a ball and chain attached to your leg, and that ball and chain is your sin. You're walking around like this. You may not realize it. And then you come to Christ, and Jesus comes with these big cosmic bolt cutters, and he comes down and he cuts that chain off of your leg. And so many of us, once that chain has been cut off, we don't leave it behind. Instead, we turn around, we we pick it up, and we just carry it with us. Our past has been redeemed, and now we have a future to look forward to. That's very important. Also, consider this. I want you to think about this. Because I have. God gave up his own son in order to adopt as daughters and sons those who were not his. He gave up his son for those who were not his. Let me tell you, I have have two daughters, Shelby and Darby. And I want you to know, I love this church, I love this congregation, and I love you. I really do. I, I would not give up Shelby or Darby for you. I'm sorry if that hurts your self esteem. I would not do that. But God has done that for us. God went to the wall for us. He gave up his son so that we could be reconciled to him and we could be adopted by him. That's an amazing thing. So now let's talk about the characteristics of true adopters. And I've got a ton of them here. True adopters adopt not out of obligation, but out of love. True adopters adopt not because we deserve it, but because they love. True adopters give the adopted a name, their name, unconditionally. And this also comes with the right to call out in distress to the adopter, Abba, Father. True adopters give the adopted an inheritance. True adopters give the adopted a family and a community. True adopters protect and provide for the adopted. Adopters train and discipline the adopted And they know that it's not going to be all cupcakes and muffins. There's going to have to be some broccoli and cauliflower mixed in. Well, maybe carrots. I like cauliflower. True adopters sacrifice. True adopters recognize that there will be times when they feel as though the adopted has little appreciation for the sacrifice they have made, and yet they still love the adopted. 
True adopters realize that the adopted may not always trust them, and yet they continue to provide for and discipline the adopted in trustworthy ways. True adopters know that sometimes the best way the adopted can learn is by letting them make their own mistakes and by letting them sit in the consequences of those mistakes. And finally, someone who is truly adopted is never a slave, but is rather a cherished part of the kingdom or family with all of the rights and privileges that accompany that kingdom, that family, that citizenship, that membership, whatever you want to call it. And this is one of the reasons that Paul contrasts slavery and adoption in in verse 15. And that's one more thing to discuss in this verse. Because of Christ in our lives, we will not fall into or should not fall into the bondage or the slavery of fear, the fear of death. We don't fall into that bondage of that. We don't live our lives worrying that death is lurking around every corner. I've said this many times before. I am not, since coming to Christ, I have never been afraid of death. I'm just not happy about how I might die. That I'm still wrestling with, but I'm not afraid of death. We also are not involved in the bondage or the slavery of the fear of the price and consequences of our convictions regarding the, con- the, the gospel. I have gospel convictions, and I will tell you that those convictions have cost me during my life in certain contexts. They just cost. And then there's the fear of being mocked. Some of us live in the slavery of uh, the bondage of, of being afraid of being mocked because we, we follow Christ. We need to understand that Jesus went to the cross in willing contradistinction to all three of these fears. The fear of death, the fear and the price of the consequences of his convictions and mission, and the fear of being mocked or shamed. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have that courage living in us as well. So how does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit? Verse 16, what is is that about? It's actually not that complicated. In verse 14, we are told that if we are led by the Spirit, we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And when that happens, when we seek the Spirit's leadership instead of our own muddled hearts, that fact bears witnesses to our souls that, in fact, we are part of the kingdom of God. So a note here. As a pastor, as somebody that people know I follow Christ, I have this conversation quite often with people. They'll come to me and they'll say, Frank, I, I'm really sure I still sin. So I don't think I am a Christian because I still sin. Do you understand that the fact that you're wrestling with that is evidence that you are a Christian? The fact that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of the fact that you're still sinning, that is evidence that you know Christ and the Spirit dwells in you? I I said, I came to Christ when I was 27 years old. I didn't care that I was a sinner before then. My sin didn't bother me. In fact, I wanted to just keep doing it. You know, it didn't bother me. I began to realize that the Spirit was dwelling in me when my sin started to give me angst. That's a sign that you are a believer, that the Spirit is dwelling in you, and that's good news. Also, verse 16, we need to understand, now it gets a little tough for some people possibly, but we need to understand that not everyone is a child of God. That is a misnomer. We're all just God's children. Not really. From a biblical standpoint, meaning God's salvation perspective, we are not all God's children. Paul makes this very clear in this letter. Jesus makes this clear as well. To be a child of God, one must embrace the gospel of Jesus. 
In the Gospels, Jesus' specific teaching in the Gospels is clear on this. There will come a time when the sheep and goats are separated. Not everyone is a sheep. I know this surprises a lot of people. A lot of other people hate to hear it, but here it goes. In the Gospels, Jesus talks a lot about hell. Talks a lot about hell, the reality of it, and how you really don't want to end up there. 25% of the time that Jesus is speaking, he's talking about hell. This is the idea that pe- people don't want to hear that bad news. I just want the good news, all the love stuff. Well, if there's, if there's a hell to be avoided, you maybe should know about that. That might be helpful to understand. Jesus talks a lot about that. There's uh, some of you, there's a few of you in here, I think, yeah, that could remember this guy, Billy Joel. Okay, he had a song once that said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Okay, Maybe not for eternity, Billy, okay? I think it would get bad after about 24 hours. You'll be like, eh, no, I think I'm in the wrong place, okay? Listen, God created all of us. Yes, in that sense, we are God's children. But the only heirs to his kingdom are those in Christ. So the only true children of God are those who are also heirs, those who have the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Even in Romans, Paul, earlier in the book of Romans, he talks about whether you're a child of Adam or you're a child of Jesus Christ. And then finally, in verse 17, there's that suffering thing again. Uh, In in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, all of our troubles, all of our suffering, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which We ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort as well. So here's the biggest challenge of today's passage. I found that people want an easy life. I want an easy... Oops. I want an easy life. Anybody else want an easy life? You you can raise your hand. It's okay. I'm not taking notes. Okay. Okay. we We all want an easy life. We just don't want it to cost us anything. Right? We don't want the cost associated with that. It's the old saying, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. People want the benefits of patience and perseverance and steadfastness, but we sure don't want to go through the discipline that it takes to get those things. Paul reminds us that if we're in Christ, if we have new life in Him, the resurrection of the dead in Him, and a secured place in heaven in New Jerusalem, when he ushers it in, he reminds us that there's also going to be involved some suffering and some tribulation and some struggles in that, which is just part of life. Everybody runs into that. 
Now, most of us have heard the saying, in fact, I say it all the time, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need, to be, remind our, we need to remind ourselves that in spite of our sin, God loves us and he's extended his son and his grace to us through his son. And, and I'm 100% on board with that. Preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. There is now no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus and nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But what we also need to do, which doesn't get talked about as much, but is just as essential, is remind ourselves of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8. And these words, although they may not sound like it, are actually good news for us. Let me read to you what I'm talking about. Jesus says this. He began to teach them, his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began rebuking him. Hey, hey, Jesus, you can't tell people that because we're not going to grow this church and get a lot of money and, and really build a big thing, okay? You've you got to tone down that bad stuff, okay? And Jesus is about to rebuke Peter and say, you've got to have the bad stuff and get through the bad stuff if you want the good stuff. There's no good news without bad news. But turning and seeing... His disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, the things of man don't want any trouble. We want all of the salvation without any of the cost, even if the cost has been borne for us by Jesus. And then calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, they would embrace me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain his whole world, gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, now you look back at what Jesus says at first. If anyone comes after me, they need to deny themselves and pick up their cross. Deny themselves, pick up their cross. In another book by Jerry Sitzer, he talks about the universality and the uniqueness of things like this. There is a universality here that Jesus says. All of us are called in Christ to deny ourselves. Every one of us is called to do that. But then he says, pick up your cross. All of us have different crosses that we're bearing. All of us are sinners, but all of us have a different manifestation of sin, different trauma in our lives, different things that we're dealing with. So that's unique to ourselves. All of us have to die to self, but then all of us need to pick up our own cross, whatever that is. That one thing. Everything is good with Jesus except for that one thing that you just can't seem to get a hold of. That's the cross that you need to pick up and you need to nail that thing to the cross of Christ. Whatever that is in your life. But that's the gospel. He says, look, you have salvation, but there's going to be some discipline in this walk. But this walk is going to get better and better as God reveals more and more to you, and there's going to be this glorious end for all. We're coming to that point in Romans chapter 8 when it ends in glory for us, and that's going to be a beautiful thing in another three or four weeks. But that's the gospel. We come to Christ, we give him everything, and especially our sin, and he gives us salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for these words and their truth, and, and we rejoice and celebrate at the good news that's in these words, but we also ask for the courage to live out 
the challenges that you have for us in these words as well. So help us to be able to do that. Help us to understand that if we are in Christ, the Spirit dwells within us. And God, because the Spirit dwells within us, uh, we, we, just, we have righteousness and godliness and discernment and wisdom and hope right at our hands. And so we thank you for that and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have our time of reflection and response now. We're going to sing two more songs together. And during that first song, as we do that, we're going to be taking communion together, the Lord's Supper. If our communion servers would please come forward. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's with his disciples having the Passover meal, and he changes the Passover meal. He picks up the bread at one point, and after giving thanks to his Father, he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body and it's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they had supped on the bread, he picks up the third cup, the the cup of thanksgiving, and he holds that up and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul tells us later on, he says, as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So when you come forward for communion, you are confessing that you are a sinner in need of a Redeemer, but you are also celebrating that you have a Redeemer in Christ Jesus. This should be a sacred time. It is a sacrament, a time of reverence, but it should also be a time of joy and celebration as we do that. And then as you return to your chairs, as, you, as the Holy Spirit leads you, please stand and, and join in uh, with the singing of these uh, last two songs as we do that. Also, there will be people standing in the wings if you're interested in prayer or asking questions during this time. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory
lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love. you don't know me and uh, today is the first Sunday of the month and since our boy Zach is on his honeymoon and just for whatever reason is missing out on church uh, I'm here to lead our our intro Sunday so if you're new or you've been coming for a little bit um, I'll be back at the connect us I'd love to meet you I'd love to know you I'd love to answer any questions that you have about us um, and if you have any uh, thoughts about how you want to get connected or anything go ahead and fill out a connect card or or just come talk to me um, but let, let me uh, pray over us some scripture as we uh, think about how we're going to form ourselves in this week. So come back to this over and over. And the heart of the message today is walking and being led by the Spirit. 
Um, so let me read this for us, uh, both in Luke 9 and in Mark 8. Uh, it says that we should deny ourselves, take up our, our cross, and follow Christ. So, uh, brothers and sisters, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow Christ. And in this endeavor, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, we love you. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. We'll uh, see you next week or I'll see you at the Connect Desk.